0: Welcome to this meeting of the mayor and Denver City Council. At this weekly session, city agencies brief the mayor and council members on various proposals and projects across the city. This meeting of the mayor and city council members begins now.
1: welcome to mayor council we are on raucous party in the back back there please so much excitement this morning um, uh, all right welcome to mayor council we will uh start with introductions the distinguished gentleman to my right you may begin
0: i always wait all week for this meeting to hear you say that mayor thank you very much i'm paul cashman i represent uh district six in south denver
2: Good morning, everyone. Serena gonzalez Gutierrez, uh, one of the at-large representatives. Good
3: morning, Amanda Sawyer, District Five.
0: Good morning, Daryl Watson,
4: Fine, District Nine. Good morning, Denver, Chris Hines, Denver's Perfect Ten. You always gotta
5: <laughs> I'm Sarah Parody, I'm not a radio announcer, but I do represent the city at large.
6: Good morning, Diana Romero-Campbell from Southeast Denver,
7: District Four. Good morning, Jamie Torres, West Denver, District Three.
1: Uh, great! Thank you all so much for being here. Welcome aboard to the love boat. Um, we have lots to get done today. Uh, so we have uh, three topics for updates this morning. We do have an executive session also for some updates from City Attorney's Office on negotiations. Um, and so uh, I will jump in. I have three. Uh, the three topics I want to update you on. One is on our auto theft program, which we rolled out last week, you all may have seen. Second is want to update you on both developments this week on newcomers in our migrant shelters and on our legal clinics that we're standing up, but we're very excited about. And then third is one to do a follow-up conversation a little bit on our Denver Ambassadors program for any questions that people had about that. I know there were some questions that emerged, so I wanted to try to address those. Um, so I know you all have had briefings on multiple of these, so I'll just do quick overviews, and if there are questions, happy to take them. If not, we can move forward. Um, uh, thank you for the folks, uh, by the way, I, I, I both on radio and in the interviews thanked both Councilman Cashman and Councilman Sawyer for their work on our auto theft program. You all really pioneered, I think, the work on these license plate readers, which were part of the program that we uh, put forward. You all have probably seen this, but the success of your idea has been overwhelmingly positive for the city, particularly at the airport, where you might have seen we had about 90% reductions in auto thefts over the last three months, uh, three to six months with that effort. So. What this includes is a comprehensive approach. You may have seen it. Uh, It includes both um, making permanent the auto theft team, which the city now has, which is a division of the DPD directly focused to investigating and pursuing these claims it is the expansion of these license plate readers around the city, so we don't have certain pockets of the city that are still at risk for theft. What this helps us do is identify a vehicle that's been stolen and uh, be able to pursue it and follow its length of escape more quickly. Uh, just so you know, those are these are only used, uh, you probably saw Chief Thompson, but these are only used for the purposes of looking for a license plate that we already have had reported to be stolen. These are not uh, traffic signal readers. These are not speeding uh, 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 detection devices. These are just a matter of being able to chase down vehicles that we know have been suspected in a crime that we can be able to identify. Uh, Focused additionally on supporting people that have vehicles that are immediately at risk. So you probably know Hyundai and Kia vehicles are the most at risk across the city. So we're doing a a couple of days of partnership with those uh, manufacturers are coming to the city to help create um, a software upgrade that will help protect those vehicles long term. We also have manual protections Mm -hmm. available for folks at police districts which are uh, things like um, the club, which you remember, the old uh, manual device. Uh, and so those have been um, important steps. Uh, and then in addition, we do have the Denver track program, which has been very successful. I did share with a laugh that having experience with my car being stolen directly myself, the benefit of this is if you do have a more recent vehicle with GPS, even if you have a tracker on your system, The Denver Police Department does not have permission to access that tracker system to help identify your vehicle unless you've registered it with them. So what happened to me when my car got stolen on a Sunday is you spend many long hours trying to call the manufacturer, trying to call your dealer, trying to call the uh, insurance company to get them to release a number to the DPD, which is quite difficult. You can pre-register your site with them, and then if you do have a theft, they can activate immediately. You can also do that if you have, uh, like I do, a vehicle that's older than 2014 and does not have GPS. You can do an old school tile system you can allow that to be registered uh, so that they can also track immediately. So that's, the idea is a combination of strategies around prevention, around intervention, around public safety that we think help make people's vehicles more safe. Um, And so big thanks to the folks at the Denver Police Department who've been partners on this. Uh, I just wanted to give you a quick update on that. If there were questions on that one, happy to take them. Um, Yes, Madam President.
7: Thank you so much. And then I see Councilwoman Sawyer too. Um, I want to understand, and I'm, I'm in conversation, so this is largely for actually more of my my community and maybe my my colleagues. I think it was really helpful and I appreciate um, uh, safety sending along the maps of where the locations are going to be. Um, And I wanna dig in a lot more on why those locations were chosen um, because uh, District Three has the most of any other district Mm -hmm. in the city with about 15 cameras. Um, And so I wanna better understand the rationale for why 15 cameras are going in in one district. Um, I, I think District 8 was next with maybe 12 and District 9 with 10. Um, and it's um, easily two times to three times the amount of some of the other districts around the city. And so, and they're not all on just corridors. Um, I'm the only one with Lakewood corridor uh, cameras. So I just want to understand um, the justification for some of that. Um, and I know the safety department is, um, is following up on that. So uh, for my partners in my district that are asking those same questions, um, um, I'm, I'm hoping we get kind of more information sure. on that context.
1: I'm happy to have a quick answer that I know safety will follow up. I think the two data points we know is we are looking at combined with the ones that Councilwoman Sawyer and Councilman Cashman approved a total of about 111 across the city. So that's roughly about 10 per council district if it were just an average. So that's, uh, that's the general meeting expectation. What we did do is want to make sure there was coverage across the city. So you didn't have any neighborhood that was unprotected. Um, and that we then did response to looking at hotspots where there are currently the highest number of auto theft reports from neighborhoods where people are most victimized by that current practice. Uh, those hotspots were what drove the initial map, and so i can sure they can give you more detail, but they was- Yeah,
7: that map is what I'm hoping that, to that see. Re-
1: that reporting map is what they can share, but that was, that was the initial driver. Um, Councilman Sawyer.
7: Thanks, just
3: wanted to say, um, I registered for the Denver Track program. Um, it was It's a program that was, um, modeled after a program in Cook County, Illinois, um, and they've seen significant success there, so I wanted to try it out. Um, I do the same thing with composting and all kinds of other things to make sure I'm not like selling something to my residents that I haven't tried myself. Um, I registered for a Denver Track program. It was easy, it was simple. My car fortunately has not been stolen, so I haven't had an opportunity to test it out on the back end. Um, I believe no car that (laughs) has been (laughs) registered with Denver Track has been stolen. Mm -hmm. um so so that's a really um i think telling piece of information i also was very concerned that like the denver police department could just track me whenever they wanted to that is not how it works so i read very carefully through the um release that you give them um you know when you're filling out paperwork and uh, and that is not what happens um so just wanted to be very clear about that i've been very happy with it it's very hard to measure something that doesn't happen right Um, but I think this is a really great um, tool in the toolbox to be able to help address something that is um, you know of number one concern to our residents so just wanted to share that thanks
1: thank you councilman I really appreciate because the big point here is deterrence you may have this but when you sign up they also give you a big visible sticker that goes on your window that says Mm -hmm. protected by Denver track which has been a very um, on one a 100% effective deterrent at this point to mm-hmm. your case. We don't have cars that have been stolen with that protective device. We only have a, maybe two or 3,000 folks who've used it so far. We'd love to 10X the use of that as a way to decrease that, that what we know is a very real impact on families in the city who lose a car. So thank you so much.
2: So
0: where did you park your car, Sawyer? Where was
1: that? <laughs> <laughs> um, Councilman Gonzalez, <laughs> Thank you, uh,
2: Mr. Mayor. I had a question that I think um, Council President might have asked before, and so I just wanted to bring it here and i don't know that it's been answered i was trying to look through to see if it had been um specifically around with with the tracking piece um i think we've seen some instances when uh, somebody has taken matters into their own hands and yes. has tracked down their car and then has um go to re- they've gone to retrieve their car and we've had incidents where it is resulted in death yes Um, and so just curious uh, one of the questions i think was around are there going to be any kind of protocols or policies in place to deter people from doing that
1: thank you so much councilman and uh, we had that tragedy in northeast denver as well last year you remember and that is exactly the practice we wanna prevent. So what happens right now is that happens sometimes when people are frustrated that the city can't track their car or won't track their car. Um, so the benefit is that we are trying to discourage people from individually pursuing their own cars. What this system allows us to do, as Councilman Sawyer said, is you just call the police and say, here is my vehicle, it's now gone. And then the t- police can do tracking without having vigilantes tracking their own vehicles across the street or across the city. So we are intentionally discouraging that practice and this replaces that by saying you don't have to chase your own car, we can track it. Uh, that person had their own tracking device and used it because the city was not able to get access to the tracking system, and so this was in part born out of a response to that failed uh, intervention.
2: And Thank you, and I think I, I appreciate the discourage. But I, would, I think it warrants maybe more conversation around whether we're discouraging or we're saying mm-hmm. think this is not allowed um, at all just because of, it puts a lot of people in danger.
1: Uh, we don't have a ordinance that prohibits it. So I think that would be a you, a you all question. Um, I think what we have, what, uh, what I've heard from DPD and from folks that have reached out is that has generally come in the response to someone that's called an auto theft. They've said, will the, will the city respond? The city has said, we can't respond and on the capacity to respond. And then they say, fine, I'll take it into my own hands. So that is the point at which now we're saying, we have a mechanism by which we will track this. We do not need you to engage directly stand down. Um, so I know we are actively saying that. I don't think that we have legal remedies for them doing it that I'm aware of, but we are definitely s- telling people not to do it. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Any other questions on this one? Okay, great. Um, we will turn to topic two, which is um, uh, migrant legal, legal clinics, which we want to talk a little about, and a little bit about, obviously, uh, I know you all are aware of the exits this week. Good news yesterday is we had our first set of families who exited yesterday, and we had transition plans for 100% of the folks that exited yesterday, so we, uh, all of those families were connected to services, many of them through nonprofits and uh, community organizations in your communities, and so working very hard to successfully uh, help them transition. As you all continue to know, the single most important issue we hear from folks is all about the ability to work and work access, and so credit to our partnership with the Colorado Lawyers Committee uh, and to our city attorney's office. Uh, we have been standing up legal clinics all across the city Our first focus right now is on folks that have arrived to have CBP-1 status. That means they came through the Customs and Border Protection app, and uh, that means they're eligible for work authorization immediately within 30 days. We had identified about 800, we think, people who were in shelter who had access to that potential service. So we're trying to identify those folks, screen those folks, get them processed for work applications so they can start uh, working, just so you know, and I can send this around to you as well, uh, in terms of Our uh, legal clinics, we have um, two scheduled for the 15th and the 16th. Also, the US Customs and Immigration System we've coordinated with the White House is present at those clinics with us so they can immediately expedite those applications uh, to get them moving. We have almost, I think, 340, pushing 400 people signed up for those clinics over the first two days. We will push to start adding those clinics day in and day out going forward. Um, We had separate screening clinics previously where you got screened for eligibility and then a a clinic to actually apply directly. We're now merging those so you can get screened and apply in the same day. Um, We think this will dramatically help get people connected to work faster that have that eligibility. Folks that do not have that eligibility, which is, I will remind you, a ever-increasing population here in the city. It's closer to 80% plus that do not have a path to CBP-1. Those folks have to apply for asylum. That is a much longer, more difficult, 10 to 20 hour application process. with a trained professional. We are working on clinics to do that, but we're trying to f- prioritize immediately the CBP-1 applications or people that can get work authorization in the next 30 days. An asylum claim would still take 150 to 180 days for work authorization still at this stage, even after that's completed. Um, so th- that's just a little bit of an update um, uh, on, on what we have coming over the next few weeks, but our plan is to try to get everyone that we have in our shelters that is CBP-1 eligible through a work authorization. Councilman Cashman. Yeah, a couple questions, sir.
0: Um, first of all, uh, I'd love to get a, a one-pager on what those path, existing paths are. I'm, I misunderstood that there was no path, so I'd like to be able to give out more accurate information myself. The other thing is, uh, can, can you tell us a, a bit more in detail about what the resolution was of the people who uh, uh, left shelter, were timed out of shelter yesterday?
1: Uh, sure, I don't know that I can give you the comprehensive data on it, but what I do know is that we've been focusing on three outcomes for folks, either directly into housing, which is our top and best priority. Um, we have uh, some that are going into Either living with friends, neighbors, short-term shelter. Some have families that have taken them in while they're pending housing applications, and we have some, uh, I think, who through cold weather others have decided to move to other cities, who've decided to move on from Denver. So those are our, the, we're, those are the three outcomes we're targeting as successful, which means they're not exiting with no plan. Sure. Um, the folks we're most worried about are families who are exiting with no plan for a place to go next, uh, and we're and we have incredible teams of caseworkers who are managing day by day the folks set for release. They've been on that for the last three weeks. Once we set the reactivation of this release time. That allowed our caseworkers to be focusing on each group that was timing out, so they're ahead of that curve, and so uh, it is a lot to manage, but they've done a quite, quite a great job. Uh, we can get you, I think, the follow-up data to yeah, as soon as we have it we on which, which individuals left to which outcome. Great, thank um, you. Uh, I will say, Councilman Cashman, one thing we have found is, not surprisingly, since it's hard for you and I to track the legal complexity of these systems, many, many folks who arrived do not know what their status is. Do not know if they're CBP-1 eligible or asylum eligible or otherwise, so we're having to now go back and rescreen many folks, some who didn't know they were or who are, some who thought they were and are not. Um, uh, but that is, that's a, that is a big divide in terms of data we have and in terms of information that our newcomers have. Thank you. Other questions on this one? I have one. Yes. Councilman <coughs> Lewis.
8: I, I was just curious. Do you have a comprehensive document that we might be able to access to let us know what's happening? with our migrant crisis and how you all are addressing it across the city. So like the individual projects um, that you all have either planned or coming online. Um, I know you have a myriad of hotels and I'm more familiar with those, so you, maybe others might be interested in that information. And then the last question I have for you, is there, you, as your administration is think, it's thinking about this, is there a, a limit, a cap that we are thinking about in terms of the amount of dollars that we are, Um, thinking about um, assigning to the migrant crisis, like what's the, how far, how far are we gonna take it?
1: Yeah, great question, Councilman. So maybe that helps me bring up a uh, tougher topic, which is you probably have seen that the federal legislation that uh, was working on trying to reach a resolution on this um, was introduced yesterday or two days ago. There was bipartisan support at introduction. Um, The path, the passage on that seems less likely. And I think there are people at this table who probably could agree or disagree on some of the components of what's in the policy. Uh, What was most important for us that's in that policy were federal dollars. Uh, And so if that bill does not pass, there will be no federal dollars coming to support Denver um, in terms of this, which means every cost we have, we're gonna have to bear ourselves. Um, And so talking with the president some about this, Uh, If that is the case, I think we will have to dramatically change uh, what the services are we can provide and then what the costs are we're willing to incur because I don't think that we're talking with departments now about what those $180 million of cuts would look like, and we think they're going to be a very long list of things that no one in this room wants to do, Um, and so we'll have some hard decisions ahead. If that doesn't pass, we're still pushing for it to pass despite the fact that there are things that we wanted that aren't in there. We want long-term immigration reform. We want a path to citizenship for dreamers. We want asylum for folks that have been here for 25 years and working. Absolutely. Um, uh, and we also want an immediate increase in work authorization for folks that are here in Denver trying to work and the ability to get federal support. Those were our two priorities. But if that does not, then we will have to make some very hard decisions about how to change services and where to take cuts. And so uh, we would be coming back to you in the next couple weeks with that. I think in the next week or two departments are coming back to us with their proposals what those cuts would look like. Okay. Um, We know from the conversations we're having with cabinet heads, those will be painful and uh, things we're not excited about. And so we're trying to see where we can be reasonable, what all the options are, and then where we would have to say we're not willing to make these cuts.
8: Yeah. And then one final question. Are you able to give us an update on how the work is going regionally in in terms of, like, are other cities near or around us interested or willing to participate? Is that – how's that going?
1: Uh, Yes. I would – Love to give you an update on that. I might schedule it for another time because it's okay. a little longer update, sure. and I'd say it's varied. There are some places that have been very supportive. I want to shout out um, both Grand Junction and Fort Collins who've been very open to partnership on this and want to see how they can do that. Uh, I know other the uh, Metro Mayors Caucus has put out a letter of support around the general issue. Uh, I think, as you know, one of the reasons why we've hit the challenge around capacity here is we do not have shelter space left in the city and county of Denver. Mm-hmm. and so. Not only to solve the financial problem of supporting folks that arrive, we literally have a space problem. Where without other jurisdictions helping us use shelter in their sites, we are out of we're out of room. And so, um, uh, so I think we can update you on some encouraging signs. I think the biggest one right now is tracking the dollars and figuring out how to adjust the budget if they don't come through.
4: Okay, and, and then I will you to, to
1: your first question of can we get a comprehensive one-page approach? We will do that, and also it should be on a on our commonly available site. So I'll make sure we have both of those so people okay. can say. Or is everything need to know in one place about immigration questions?
8: All right, my final question. Yes, I ma'am. promise you all can have the floor after that. <clears throat> do you um, actually know the number of folks who end up being sheltered even temporarily that end up in our streets long term? Like, Do we actually have those numbers of um, the number of yeah. folks that are unhoused or unsheltered living in our streets?
1: We, we are tracking that carefully Um, and obviously when we had that very large encampment at 26th and Zuni that was our big most significant challenge and I wanted up on Fox Street that we were able to move people indoors so as of the last couple days I'd say the total number of uh, newcomers we've been tracking you ended up in the street where I'll be wrong but it's somewhere around the 40 to 60 number so it's a very small discrete number at this point because we have been focusing so well on services and I want to say I know there's a lot we can do better and want to do better I mean it is an incredible testament to the city employees here that we've welcomed Forty thousand newcomers over the last year and there are only 50 or 60 of them that ended up on the streets that's it's quite remarkable um but that is the number we're tracking very carefully we're watching very carefully this week as we re- resume exits to make sure people don't end up homeless and if so how we can get them connected to services um, uh, and but traditionally about 90 95 percent of folks when they exit do have plans the services a small number end up uh, uh, unhoused and then we pr- and then we connect them to services again okay thank you yeah you bet councilman alvidrez and then councilwoman parity
9: Thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> Thank you for all this information. I think uh, one thing that came to mind a couple weeks
8: ago, I was able to attend a clinic like the one you mentioned. Yes. Was that a state-funded clinic or was this
6: that part of this effort?
1: Uh, it depends which one. We've been partnering together with the state and, and with us. Um, and so usually there it's a collaboration. Uh, most of the ones we're running now are city-run. There have been state-run state, one, state run ones in the past. Okay. Um, we have seven this week and next week that are all pre-screenings, and then two the week after that are all Uh, application clinics.
4: Okay.
8: Um, And then my question is, has that newcomer position been filled yet?
1: So we have final interviews this week, and I think Council President and Council President Pro Tem, I think, are both involved in those interviews, if I'm correct. Okay, thank you. That's all. Yes, Council on
5: Parity. Um, So I'm not expecting answers to all these questions but just to give a sense um, these are the questions that I sent to um, a bunch of folks in the administration yesterday for updates Um, and there are things that I think council just we need to know we need to know this information so um, regarding housing navigation um, we have a list of I think five nonprofits that are helping with that Um, I've only been in touch with one of those so far and so I'm trying to understand How are they getting lists of families to work with? Do they have the full list of who's exiting the shelters each day, or do they have like a sub list, um, kind of who's coordinating them? And my understanding is that Vive Wellness was the only nonprofit that um, had that list of names for folks exiting yesterday. So when are the other ones coming into play? Are they being paid for this work by the city, or are they doing it from their existing nonprofit budgets just as a service that they do in the community? Um, Are city staff doing any housing navigation? What kind of um, where are those nonprofits entering the information about where the families go? Because I've heard that there's a, there was a fair amount of chaos yesterday with different people trying to show up um, to help discharging families, and that one family, for example, that had a hotel was like taken somewhere else by another volunteer because community's trying to step into the breach. Um, do the do all of those nonprofits have the list of discharges by name, shelter, <coughs> room number, and date? Um, and if so, could council also get those? Um, And then what funding, whether it's city or outside funding, is available for first and last month rent or hotel stays? Like, where is that money coming from? Is it from us? Is is it from the newcomers fund, et cetera? Um, Are there any locations where migrants who do not successfully get sheltered or housed can camp and where we will provide uh, bathrooms and things like that and commit that they will not be removed and shifted around by the city? Um, Alternatively, are there locations where people are trying to set up camps um, where they are going to be moved in the coming week? Uh, Can council get the schedule of which shelters people are discharging from on which days so that we know if a large number of families are being discharged in a particular neighborhood on a particular day? Um, I know it was about 160 people yesterday, and it's somewhere between 50 and 100 pretty much every day for the rest of the month. So we've just started. Um, Where, What if any congregate shelters are going to be available? Um, I've heard that the vendor that's opening McNichols is AC Disaster Services. I've never heard of that vendor. Who are they? Um... What budget are we paying them from? Uh, and then what organizations have we trained on hosting families where we can refer people that wanna host people? I have referred people to Colorado Hosting Asylum Network, which we've been given mm-hmm. before. Um, and those people have said that they've been turned away. Um, finally, I've heard that DPD is citing people that are trying to wash windows at Colfax in Colorado and finding them. People are getting like $60 tickets. They can't afford that. They're making about $60 a day when they're out at that intersection. Um, and I'm sorry, I think I have one more question. No, that was it. It was about that vendor AC disaster recovery. Also, I noticed that um, Housing Connector, which we had used for navigation at Zuni, was not on the list of housing navigation nonprofits, so I'm curious what's happening with that. I just think there's a ton of details that, that we don't know. Um, I also, of, of the people that were asked yesterday, understanding the resource constraints and what a difficult problem it is, um, I think there, there were um, at least, like, a dozen or so people that ended up, like, in a hotel for the night and don't really have a plan beyond that. So I think saying that 100 pe- percent of people were resolved is not like a re- realistic portrayal of what's happening, and, and that's okay. Like we, we are totally overwhelmed, but I just think I I, I don't want there to be a disjoint between what people are actually seeing <laughs> out in the city um, and what we're saying in here. So you don't you don't need to answer all those things, so, but so just sorry. to give a sense of very helpful information I think Angela
1: already has Hi. some response yes,
10: legislative director so councilwoman parity we did receive your questions yesterday and we're working on those so we're uh, working on answers to all of those questions yeah. that but you sent in the email we yesterday. had asked
5: almost all those questions long before I sent that email right. that and email we, was a roundup we, we
10: have a, a, an aggregate document that we're working on right now and and uh, just a lot of moving parts but we, we do have a document that we'll be sending out to cam- council with all of those questions answered
1: uh thank you so much angela i can take a couple of the high level that i know are um uh uh, i already know the answers to um so the first is we do have uh five different nonprofits right now that are working on housing navigation plus city employees that are working on housing navigation also those folks are assigned to uh, caseloads of people based on their exit dates and they have rolling portfolios so that someone is supporting all the folks exiting in the next two days the two days after that so And they all got those several weeks before the exit date so they had the chance to case manage them in advance so that that is those are in place those folks are currently paid by the city um in terms of first month's and last month's deposit those are city resources that we are allocating for that that was initially allocated by the money the council president pro tem worked together with you all to allocate from your city council budgets to help provide those first and last month's rent I do not think we've burned through all of that money yet, but we will be close, I think. Council President Pro Tem, is that right? Um, so that has been the uh, initial source. Um, the, um, in terms of uh, some of the others, I'll, I'll need to get um, more uh, data for you on. I know Angela will help us on, but in terms of that staffing, that response, and that structure, we can help. Um, in terms of getting you information on where folks are thing from we can not help too we are obviously very protective of folks privacy in this context so the sharing of data particularly for folks that are undocumented is a very sensitive question for us and so uh, even in terms of people's willingness to answer questions about nation of origin or their immigration status they sometimes are, are worried about and so uh, we'll figure out the right context of that data to share with you that you can see that gives you visibility without that and I think all risk. we
5: need to know is if it's a shelter that, that will be having discharges we don't need to know anything about the identities of people discharging as council, but we need to know if it's happening in in someone's district on a particular
1: Uh, day. And I do wanna just lean into what you shared, which is to your point and Councilman Lewis's point, um, this is is a dilemma, not a problem, right? So I've described like the difference in a problem is, a problem is just something you find and you fix. When your fence is broken, you fix it, that's a problem. A dilemma is when you have competing values on both sides and you cannot fix them, you can only manage them. The dilemma here is we could provide everyone permanent housing and not worry that anyone's gonna be exited at any given day for the rest of the year, and that would cost us $300 million. We would have to cut $300 million out of the city budget. The other option is we try to maintain and restrict some of those cuts, and we will have people exiting. We will have them exiting every single day, uh, and when they exit, not all of them will have places to go. That is gonna be the, tr- the truth for a long time. And I will say this, for just so you know why, you hear some of the providers and others starting to push for solutions like wanting us to take no new arrivals from new migrants because they wanna serve the folks that are already here. We had the nonprofit that was working on today's exit and yesterday's exit have been working three and a half weeks to be able to prepare for yesterday's exit. And it took them a Herculean amount of work to provide transition plans for those families. Uh, Three weeks to prepare for one day of exit. We had more arrivals on Sunday than we had exits on Monday. So just so you know, right, three and a half weeks to prep for one day of exits, and then you, you, that, that number is undone by a day of arrivals, 24 hours before that exit. That is the volume we can't keep up with right now, and that's what I think is both wearing down providers, it's wearing down partners, it's wearing down volunteers in and around the city. And so that is the dilemma we're trying to manage, but I appreciate you saying this will not always be good news, and there will be folks exiting without plans. That will happen.
5: Right, and I, and I, just to be clear, I'm I'm not criticizing. I, the resources constraints are incredibly real, so I'm yep. not here saying that we need to somehow magically fix that. I'm saying that we need to know what's happening because we keep, yep. because we're hearing the anguish and the people wanting to help, and the and it's impossible to know how to how to plug people into all of that um, yep. if we don't even know which shelter is exiting on which day.
1: Yeah, thank you, Council member Romero Campbell.
6: Um, Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I I did have a question that was somewhat similar. I think it's really important just to know where people are exiting so that we can be aware in each of our council districts um, what that impact is and if we need to mobilize our local communities. I know sometimes it's hard to do that whole citywide coordination, but we do have a lot of effort, I think, in our local communities to be able to do that. Um, Do we have an idea as to how many children of the 40,000 migrants that have come how many are children, and how many are, you know, under the age of 18, or that those that are coming in? I know, um, with the encampment resolution on, in Zuni, it wasn't everybody, um, wasn't um, a, a young child. However, I just don't. Do we have a number? No.
4: Uh, everybody
1: have the number on the full 40,000. The number I have is on the 5,000 we had in shelter about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. That 5,000 were uh, uh, 20, about 2100. Uh, family adults and 2,100 children. That's for about 42 or 4,300 total families, only about 600 individual adults. So more than 75, 80% of the total population was now families with kids in our shelter system. the last few weeks. Evan, you may have data on the full year.
4: Uh,
0: uh, I have and, and, and 50% of the current shelter guests are 18 and younger. As of yesterday or the day before, it was about 1,800 people, our kids. Say,
6: I'm sorry, say that number again.
0: 1,800. Of the, f- about 4,000.
1: So it's about 45% are children, 80% are families, right? So if you have a mom and a dad or a mom and a mom and some kids, um, so overwhelmingly the families and that are the highest percentage of our folks now. Thanks.
6: Um, I think that that. Thank you for the numbers. I think it's really important, especially when we are thinking about the community volunteers or the the community that's coming forward in Denver Public Schools and what that impact is. Um, I know that there's been a tremendous effort to enroll um, students into classrooms. Um, With the exiting, I'm just wondering, you know, it's like that ripple effect and impact that we're going to have on other systems. Um, So just another thought or communication, and hopefully we can... Have another conversation with the superintendent with the Denver Public Schools as far as what is then happening to those children how are they maintaining you know where they go um, and all of the other things that are surrounding us
1: great question Uh, and council president pro tem is there a first meeting of the city coordinating council set yet or is that do we know when that uh, with the school district
9: we are um, working waiting on Esther okay we need to Follow up with Esther on the appointments. Yeah, Great. and so we have them. President Potem has submitted them, and it's simmering on your side. I haven't submitted our council oh, you haven't positions our council yet. yet. No, mm-hmm.
7: I'll be in touch um, very soon on those. I meet with Dr. Olson this week um, okay, for perfect. the board uh, process, and then I've also had an initial conversation with Deep for the superintendent pieces. Um, we do have a community member that we that council appoints so um we've got to get out the announcement so that we can start recruiting that person do they all have to go
9: through boards and commission including the community member
7: no i don't think so i think the council member is just a presidential appointment um a community member might also be i gotta double check on that it might be
9: i think yeah We don't have to go through boards we and commission We don't. Now. Our side
7: doesn't. Um, and then mayor and designee and Office of Children's Affairs are two other appointments. So does the
9: DPS have to go through boards and commission? No.
7: Nobody really does. OK, so really we don't does. have boards and commission.
9: Mm-hmm. OK, perfect. Sorry, I had yeah, inaccurate that's okay. information. We're they all still
7: have their own process. Like DPS we, board will still have to designate we should get there
9: get it. too. I was waiting for the president to figure it out. But we should get everyone's calendar. Because according to the ordinance, we have to meet but prior to March 31st, and our calendars are filling up.
1: Great. Yeah. Uh, let us know whatever I can do to help, but thank you for your leadership mm-hmm. on that. I think that's, and this is, yeah. Councilman Romero-Campbell, yeah, that's exactly the reason that we needed this, is there are a lot of alignment issues that needed across Agreed. the screen. Agreed.
7: That'll Senate. be coming pretty quickly, I yeah. think. Okay. Those stars okay. are aligning.
10: Yeah, just so you all know, on our side, we're working on making that a priority, okay. and we've talked to Esther, and we, and we know about the March 31st deadline. Okay, so.
1: I will as well then. Mm-hmm. I think Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez, you were in queue.
2: Yep, thank you. Um, <clears throat> when, so one of the things I know that I've asked for at least a few times, and I'll just ask here again, um, is if there can be a process or, I mean, I think it could be pretty simple um, for us to be notified in the same manner we're notified about seven day, the seven-day notice about sweeps um, when there are sweeps of Denver Parks and Rec um, Parkland we don't receive those same notices. And I remember when that happened at the, um, where the Quality Inn was, there was that, there's that little strip of parkland that was there. And I think uh, maybe some of us didn't realize that that was actually um, DPR. And so they, the people came and swept and that has been happening over the course of this last week and a half. And I'm finding out from community members and I'm scrambling and trying to figure out what's going on and trying to help people. Um, but we're not getting still any kind of notice. I've asked for it. I haven't been told no, that it wouldn't be possible. So if it's not possible, I'd like to know that. But if it is, I would like for that to be implemented as soon as possible. So that, again, to Councilwoman Parity's point, so that we can actually, at the very minimum, be reactive um, and and maybe sometimes proactive um, when things are coming up like this. Great hi well. and
10: uh, just to give you an update councilwoman i have been working with the parks department and they're working on a process right now um and we will make that announcement to the whole council when that's in place
2: thank you um and my second last question i guess i would say is um just want to ping again um you know i i understand that the state has contributed it by the way of um you know Bring, uh, allowing staff or having staff giving us staff to help us like in the shelters which you know, obviously is not always very consistent and they've also provided funding for um, contracts which have since ran out um, and, and I think it's in the amount of around $20 million is what I continue to hear that the state has provided. I, I think there is more that the state can do that is um, aside from just providing financial assistance and I think that that it is a conversation around whether or not we ask the state to declare a state of emergency. We ask the governor, and I think that's something that we really need to consider and what that actually looks like. Um, And so happy to engage in those conversations because hearing the fact that as people are discharging and whether they have a plan of somewhere to go or not, we still get more people coming in. And in my eyes, I think that warrants an emergency
1: i um, happy to talk more about it. We have talked with the governor about it, and I think Councilwoman definitely agree with you that we'd love to have your help in advocating at the state level for more support of all sorts. I do think there's momentum building for the state to find dollars to give to DPS to help cover some of their costs, which we support. I think we are still the only really city in the state of Colorado bearing costs on this statewide crisis, and so um, we think we need as much support as we can. And so for those of you that have strong relationships in the state legislature, we would love your help in, in advocating and activating those folks. Okay, anyone else on this topic? Great. Um, uh, excellent. I want to move to the uh, last topic before we do executive session is wanted to just check in and talk a little about our Denver Ambassadors Program and answer any questions people might have had. I uh, got to visit with a couple of council members offline who had questions. but want to just walk you through um, this, so if there are questions, happy to answer them. Um, and thank you. We'll go ahead to the next slide. You have the slides in front of you. Um, obviously, the effort here is to try to create a coordinated and unified effort between city employees, nonprofit partners, and downtown uh, Denver Partnership and some other downtown business organizations around how we do uh, response to support for people in need in downtown. Um, and. Uh, I will tell you that this is part of the extension of a belief that I think many of you share, which is in many of these situations where there's someone in need, we believe that a police officer is not the right first person to respond. Uh, and that is both not a best use of our officer's time, it is also not the right response for a citizen, which sometimes they just need someone to connect them to services. And so many of us that have supported the STAR program or the co-responder program, uh, this was an attempt to create an extension of that model to have more first responders that could make direct contact with someone that did not need to be a uniformed or badged or gunned officer. Um, And so let me say one more thing about this before I go to the next slide. Let me describe to you what was happening in the city before those of us that got here six months ago arrived, which is what has happened over the last three or four years is as there were more and more concerns about public safety, uh, a number of things happened. One is that individual businesses and individual organizations started hiring their own private security details. That includes the city. That includes places like the convention center, which right now spends a million dollars a year every year on private security just to walk folks from the convention center to and from their hotels to support convention business. That includes places like the Union Station that's hired their own security. That includes places like the milk market. All those places have started adding their own individual private security to help secure their buildings and neighborhoods. At the same time, Downtown Denver Partnership, as a coalition, uh, as a business improvement district, contracted with their own regional security force to be uh, present around the city streets of the Downtown Denver Partnership region. Um, uh, And at the same time, we were doing lots of street outreach through every number of partners that we have that do street outreach to folks that might be unhoused or have uh, needs and services. None of those efforts were coordinated or aligned or in any collaboration. And so you had a lot of resources being spent by existing organizations without alignment or communication between those organizations. And so, and what we didn't have was from people that were downtown, a sense of public visibility and safety of knowing who they could go to to ask for help or support in any given way. And what we wanted was visibility and a sense of safety in downtown without a sense of over-policing in downtown. And so what this effort did was combine existing efforts that were already in place from DDP, from uh, nonprofit outreach, from uh, private security uh, and put those into a coordinated effort so they could communicate with each other and could respond. Uh, It has not changed the scope of what those folks do, it's just changed the alignment of what they do. And so, also if you can go to the next slide, I'll show you this uh, triangle, which is probably the easiest thing to understand. Um, uh, And then, next slide. Um, and so you may have seen this already, but this is, um, and I'll talk a little bit about reporting in a minute, but this is starts with easy ability for folks uh, that are residents, visitors, um, business leaders to be able to report uh, if there are concerns. This could be trash presence, this could be someone who's in a mental heath- health crisis who needs support. Um, Uh, And uh, this could also be uh, all of our strategies on activating these spaces in the first place. So this is why you see the Dynamic Downtown Denver grant program. This is why we're encouraging folks to come back in person. it's why we're making it easier for for businesses to be able to do outside activations. What are all the things that are positive preventative activation of those sites? Um, And then um, the ability to report if there's something you want us to respond to. The next level of that is always an outreach partner, which is generally community-based nonprofit that does outreach-based work as part of their existing portfolio. Denver Dream Center is our uh, key partner right now in first outreach, that is, if there is someone that is in crisis, needs services, they can come talk to them, ask them what their needs are, connect them to services that they might want to access and be able to help them along their path without having to get any sort of police involvement. So that is the reason why we've done that. We've had quite good feedback from community members uh, and from the residents we've served about that approach. Um, we still have this engage and educate as still the existing forces that were already in place, the Downtown River Partnership and that the private buildings have hired. We've now unified them under one uh, visible uh, yellow vest program. So if you are walking down the street and have a question, you're lost, don't know where to go, wanna know where Union Station is, wanna know how to catch the bus, um, they are folks that can help and support you and if someone's in crisis, they can help and support you. These folks are not Licensed or certified by to, for any law enforcement capacity, no different than they have been the last three or four years, and they've been doing this work every day in the past. They are now aligned on one communication stream, so if they do respond to an incident that requires escalation, they can go to DPD um, or they can go to the central dispatch system to have those folks respond. Um, so that's all about how these uh, partners work together. And then I'll talk a about reporting, some of the questions about reporting. If you go to the next Primary means of reporting uh, continues to and will always will be for non-emergencies 311. Um, folks come into 311, they report something. If there's a, if there is a need, if the 311 routing decides that should be dispatch of some sort, it goes through dispatch. They decide whether the uh, who the right city personnel or partner is to respond to that, or if we have a nonprofit outreach partner that could respond, or if we have STAR or co-responders. Um, we are working on right now a text-based system for 311 and a chatbot system for 311, both of which will launch in the next several months this this spring, early summer. Um, that will be our kind of big breakthrough moment, which should be, should be the easiest for anyone any moment to say, "How can I help someone who has a question or has a need?" Or if there's a dumped-over trash can in the middle of 17th Street, and you want us to pick it up? We can do that too. Um, so that continues to be that. Uh, the question people had about the safe and clean app as a reporting function. This is a business improvement district effort. So there are business districts around the country that have done this. San Diego uses this, Portland uses this, San Francisco uses this. Downtown Ember Partnership has been using this for, I think, four years. Um, and so what they have is it's an addition to the rest of the infrastructure. This is their version of if someone sees something, say something. If you see trash, you see something we want us to respond to, they can also take. Um, uh, input if they have them. If they have, cons- if, if they, they can then either reach out to any city activation if there requires a city response. They would come through 311, come through 911, or can directly email our team for follow up action. Um, uh, but that is a supplemental, additional nonprofit, outside run community response effort that we have partnered with. In the same way, we partner with many bids on their community improvement activities. But all of our city run dispatch, deployment, intervention services are still run through 311, 911 non-emergency 911 in the same way. Um, so wanted you to, you know, uh, That's just a little bit of that background if people had questions um, on how that goes. Um, uh, and then if you're curious on, this is the, um, actually no, I think I'll stop there. Um, so that's the overview of questions I know people raised that might be helpful. I wanted to um, run through those and happy to answer any additional questions people have if they have them currently, um, but that was the the update I wanted to give you if there were any questions at this moment. Yes, Councilman Lewis.
8: I have a few questions, but I've sent them to Angela, so should I just wait to get those answers instead? Okay, thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If they don't, let me know. I'm happy to help, Councilman. Cool, thanks. (coughs) Other questions? Councilman gonzalez Gutierrez.
2: Thank you. Um, Yeah, no, I think, I know that there were lots of questions (laughs) asked during safety committee, and I think we're hopeful that um, we'll have folks back so that we can continue that conversation. I think, in particular, if there is um, later down the road um, the option or, or the desire to expand this beyond downtown, uh, I think would warrant a lot more conversation, um, especially with with council um, and their districts, and, and you know, knowing what making sure that their communities are on board with something like this and and who would be doing these things. Um, But that's just if if there is um, an effort to expand it, I, I did notice that some of the things were different from the presentation that we received in safety as far as like who wears the yellow vest. I think there might've been maybe some typos or mistakes, but because initially it did have the set team as wearing the yellow vest in the original presentation. Um, so it looks like that has been changed because I think that's what was reported during. So it looks like that is in fact now accurate that the set team does not wear the yellow vest. So. I'm not seeing anybody saying that that's not true, um, so I think the other piece of this is really wanting to dig in and understand the triage process. In conversations that I've had, it it sounds like there are different perspectives of what happens, and and hearing um, I think it was Ryan who was here from Denver um, yep. Downtown Denver Partnership. Um, talking about him being the one who receives all of the notifications and just curious how that works when there is like one person as the conduit and is it that one person that is then making a decision on the response Um, and that's a question I know that, that I've talked to you about is who are the people that are, we know the people that are responding as far as like the Dream Center and other nonprofits but still wanna know who and really wanna know and drill down, and this was asked, I know I think by Councilwoman Lewis, was about the training um, and that that is received. And this is just stuff that I know, I I don't expect today, but just wanna make sure we're reiterating here, is what type of training are they receiving in these types of responses? But also, again, when it comes to triage, it's who is is part of that triage? Is it one singular person? Because a triage, doesn't in in most settings does not indicate just one person making a decision it is multiple people from multiple disciplines that are making those kinds of decisions yes um, and so that's just just things that i'm hoping to get soon
1: great um, thank you councilwoman and we will get you more i do want to just give you a, a brief answer because you and i had a good <laughs> conversation about this um, so the first thing is i want to be entirely clear the city-based response mechanism for any issue is still 311 or 911. That is always going to be the case. We run that. That is our top priority. That is how we want all people's concerns to come through us. Um, and uh, I think about this almost like if you had an HOA in your neighborhood, and sometimes you call the HOA and say, "Hey, some there's trash in my backyard. Who's picking that up? Or who's dealing with this issue at the city pool?" It's great that you have an additional layer of response. That does not supplant or replace any of our city response. So. All of our three and one and nine one one systems are the right uh, are the right places for those places to go. Um, what they are, what, what the nonprofit is doing at DDP, is through the systems they have activated of their own detail or our own Dream Center response. If they get a response, they can they will they can send it to just the person that is on call for them, which would be Dream Center or their own uh, team. But any emergency, any health and safety risk of any sort that comes through the city goes through our one unified dispatch and our one unified triage, as you said, that is a combination of decision makers who are expert and trained in this and that will continue to be the case. Um, and you're totally right. Uh, if we, this is a unique creature of the resources that are in downtown right now. Every neighborhood has a different set of resources than what were, you know, most other neighborhoods don't have private security details right now outside of our businesses, That would that, that's much more neighborhood activation and business activation. So if we were to do this and neighborhoods wanted to, we'd wanna be in conversation with those council members and see what that partnership would look like. We're trying to just see if this pilot works well in this context where there are a lot of players already moving, but not aligned.
2: Great, and yeah, if I can find out who is part of that triage process, I would love to, Like, as far as what are their backgrounds, what is their expertise in doing this kind of work. And the last thing I'll just ask, because I know that it was mentioned during safety committee um, and and thank you, Councilman Watson, that this is something that's already been done. I mean, now we're adding something, and adding more of a name to it, I guess, with vests and identifiable, ways to identify folks. Um, But I guess my question then is, is, but the difference that I see is, now there are city resources and funding that are going towards this effort. And so I'm curious how much and, and what is going towards it. I know it's below the 500,000 because it didn't come through us. And so I'd like to know yeah, how much and, and what resources are being uh, put towards this effort.
1: Great, we're happy to get back to you on that. We see this as a, uh, yeah, an aligning of existing resources in a far more cost effective and efficient way that provides more public safety for the city. Um, but we will happily get you that data. Thank Councilman you. Watson and then Parity. And,
0: and I don't have so much of a question, but uh, kind of a statement. I know um, Angela Casillas and I spoke on this. And I, I, I think a lot of the, uh, at least from, and I don't know what other questions folks have sent to the administration, but the initial questions came about because it seemed to me that there was not as clear coordination between downtown Denver partnership communicating the difference. And for, as a council member, someone who's whose district is directly impacted. I knew what those differences were. And it didn't seem as if that coordinated communication occurred prior to them coming before council on a program that many other council members were not aware of. And so I I know that your team and you have a really uh, solid team of communicators. I think the opportunity, especially with a a program like this, um, is making sure that those communicators uh, maybe vet um, what other groups who are have leadership roles and initiatives before they come before council. I, I, and so that's just my, my, I appreciate my statement. It. I know I've spoken to the yeah. communication team. I think uh, Angela would have been able to ca- catch a lot of this stuff before yeah. it was said. But I
1: appreciate that. Very helpful feedback. We will do better at that. Councilman Parity. So uh,
5: I think... Um piggybacking off of Councilmember Gonzalez Gutierrez's questions and just stepping back a bit I mean the reason so we're sitting here asking about training we don't know because they're private hired security Um, we don't train them they're not post certified police oversight public safety oversight is one of the most difficult things that municipalities do all of you who have been there for far longer than I have have grappled hard with this we're working on it we're dug into it we can't outsource it we can't put a city vest on private security guards I just I'm I'm honestly really shocked that we're doing that. I saw one of those guards when I was driving into work today with his yellow vest over his private security uniform. Mm-hmm. Some of these security contractors are Allied Security. Yeah, um, let's go. City Council cut off their contract after they damaged Rivero Sinet's brain and took away his ability to do art at, at an RTD station. I mean, this is to me this is a non-starter. I understand it's happening and it's starting, but there is no version of this. It, it's not a tweak around the edges. It is that we cannot put Denver City. Uh, we cannot be um, validating and um, putting our imprimatur on private security. They don't get the same kind of training as police. I've sued private security firms. I've sued police. Mm-hmm. The training is in no way comparable. They are not post-certified. They are not police. Right. And we do not have oversight over them. So the going, issue is not— They, go they are going to hurt someone. Um, and because we have put our vests on them, we may then also get sued for that, which I don't care about as much as I care about the actual injury. But this is, this is a train that's gonna go down a very bad track. Uh, it's not a question, it's a comment.
1: Uh, great, I'm happy to address that and talk more. I think the difference is not about, the question is about what someone's scope of work authorization is and what they are allowed to do in their current training and capacity. What an allied security member is allowed to do now is no different than what they were allowed to do six weeks ago. They do not have the power to arrest, they do not have the power of detention, don't have any power they didn't have previously, uh, nor is that granted through their training or through their partnership with us. The only difference is the communication system they have and the ability for them to be visible to the public is what has changed, and we do have that in in sites across the city, we have private security city-run sites all around the city currently today. That's a common practice. So it is actually accurate that we can contract with private security. We do that. We have done it previously. We'll keep doing it. The question is what their scope of work is and what they're entitled to do in that contract. That does not change, and that's linked to what your post-certification is. In the same way, we out, we contract with outreach workers who contact folks that are unhoused every day. Some of those are nonprofits that work under the city aegis. Some of them are nonprofits profits that work independently. Uh, those are all agencies that are partnered and licensed through the city to do work uh, and, and step into high-risk situations. The question is what capacity and authority do they have in those situations? And those are completely within their rights of training. So happy to talk more. I know it wasn't a question, but I think we're a, quite a clear. A yellow
5: vest is a parent authority. I mean, that's what it But it
1: doesn't give you authority to take any intervention on public safety that you couldn't without a badge and a uniform as a post certified officer, any more than that person could do if someone walked into Republic Plaza or into Milk Market today or into RTD or into Union Station today. That's the same capacity that Union Station has or RTD has, and so that is unchanged. You can un- not like that, but that the law is unchanged and what they're able to do. Um, I think what, what we want to do is actually make sure there's a more unified uh, approach for civilians so they know who people are, what they're able to do, and what they're not able to do, which I think this is a smarter version than what we had before, but happy to talk more about it.
7: We also have exec session, uh, so just want to flag that, and not to interrupt your comment.
3: It's just Knights. real quickly, there's no Fin Gov today because yeah. General Services wasn't ready to present, so um, we've got a little bit of extra time. Thank
4: you. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, and uh, just uh, in the conversation about um, you know making sure that we have the appropriate outreach downtown, there is a conversation. Um, uh, I, I've talked with the partnership. I've talked with the business improvement district, which is part of the partnership, and I've also talked with private businesses um, about this uh, kind of patchwork kind of solution that um, that it, that's happening. Um, the bid funding mechanism was set up before Lodo was truly the vibrant place that it is today, and um, and so you know the downtown business br- business improvement district has funding uh, for twelve and a half million dollars for uh, one hundred twenty blocks. Um, Cherry Creek has uh, eight and a half million dollars for 16 blocks and, uh, and so there's a bit of a funding disparity there um, and I would, I would be excited to see uh, our um, downtown business improvement district um, have uh, the funding to, to um, augment our star program specifically downtown. I know that uh, we have a lot of uh, council members who want star in their neighborhoods and uh, their council districts as well. Um. So this would be one way to kind of help uh, make sure that the city star program is citywide. If um, if we can uh, work with uh, how uh, the downtown business improvement district is funded, then we could get, uh, I don't think it makes sense for Dairy Block to try to get star type navigators, but the business improvement district, it does make sense. Um, and so that is a conversation that is kind of in early stages, but a conversation nonetheless. And. I've I raise it here because, um, just because of the conversation we're having right now.
1: Great. Thank you.
8: Councilman Lewis. Me? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, and my, so we worked with Allied Security during my time at RTD, and I was on the board when, um, unfortunately, Rivera-Stinett was beaten tragically um, by Allied Security. And what we found is that we had a $30 million contract, and we actually didn't have any oversight. We didn't have any oversight on whether what— um, recourse look like for those individuals who harmed riveros dinette their training um, i mean really anything we just gave 30 million dollars and they had the authority to kind of do whatever they want they were able to do on our platforms and with the folks who were interacting and so to Uh councilwoman parity's point i think there is a conversation that needs to be had for us to be able to address some of these things around like if we're giving city dollars what is our accountability to those dollars are there performance metrics that we are putting in place with these contracts to ensure that uh, we are able to keep track of what those interactions look like with um, folks who are wearing those yellow vests and so I just wanted to bring that to y'all to y'all's attention because that was something that we maybe didn't get all the way right with RTD, um, but where we did move away from from having, um, still having the private security was um, actually hiring for folks in their expertise to be able to deal with some of the issues that we were seeing on our platforms and on our rail and on our buses. And so it was a lot of folks experiencing homelessness and so we hired homeless service providers to be able to provide those services. We hired clinicians as well um, to be able to come in partnerships in tandem um, with, um, Or allied security even our um, uniformed officers or even our directly hired um, um, peace officers that RTD had and so I do think that the conversation is more comprehensive I did say and I will say this to you because they had the pleasure of hearing this during our council meeting I was very concerned when I heard about this program because the first thing that came to my mind was Trayvon Martin is giving folks the opportunity to be able to be vigilantes as you mentioned earlier um and potentially harm folks and so it is very concerning and i do think that it's worth us having a larger conversation about like what are the unintended consequences that we are willing to shoulder in the event that we have another riveros dinette moving forward
1: yeah Uh, thank you let me say a couple things um i think first is the is this is actually the opposite of a vigilante system. What you want instead, as you mentioned, Councilman, are uh, trained people with lived experience who are the first responders in these situations. That's why our Denver Dream Center allies are the ones that are making the most often first contact with, I think, real success because of that shared lived experience. Um, Second one to be key on is we are not retaining or paying the private security in the structure. This is not coming from the city, county of Denver. These are folks either the Downtown River Partnership is hired and paying. Or that, or that private businesses are hired and paying. They are doing that all over the city. They are entitled to do that whenever and wherever they want to. Um, uh they do that in part because i think of a lack of public safety that they think the city has provided in those contexts um so uh, we do not directly supervise or fund uh, any of those services Um, happy to talk more about how the partnership works and how we align what we're really talking about is the ability to have unified communication systems so that they can communicate to our officers Uh, they do not have the power of the city to intervene to arrest to be able to take action. Um, And I think what we want is to make sure that there are people that have that power that are only deployed in situations that require it and instead that we have nonprofit actors that are out doing first lines of response without badges and guns um, or that scale of intervention. So that's exactly I think what we're trying to avoid. So I I think we have shared values here in trying to make sure people both feel safe in all parts of the city, and that we have the right responder at the right moment at the lowest level of intervention that doesn't get risk escalation where it isn't needed. Um, so happy to talk more about yeah. that and how that partnership works. And again, I think this is entirely unique to downtown Denver, maybe Cherry Creek if there were a second version, because they also have large numbers of private security forces, um, but it's not something that is a citywide strategy, and those places we'll have to think much differently about how. Community partners and business owners and neighbors want to be involved. Um, I think this is a place where, as the economic driver of the city, we want to make sure folks feel safe and protected and welcome in that part of the city. And I think this is a good first step.
8: Yeah, I would say that's that's probably a lot of the dialogue that we had during our during my term at RTD is that we contracted with them, but they weren't necessarily um, our employees, and so. uh, the general public didn't have that distinction, right? Like if they saw an RTD patch on a uniform, whether that said RTD on this side and allied security on this side, it was still RTD. In fact, we were the ones who received the lawsuit, not allied security. And so I do think it's an important distinction if these individuals are wearing the vest, Mm -hmm. whether the intention is um, for them to be a part of the city or or if they're being contracted separately. I think for an individual who might be coming downtown as um, from any of our districts right? we understand downtown to be an important economic driver as you said and we want to encourage folks to go back downtown to revitalize um, downtown yep. in, and to uh, ensure that our businesses are surviving but they don't see that difference right yep. like as an mm-hmm. individual uh, coming into our cities
1: so. that's helpful yeah. I think it may be helpful to talk more about what the enumerated operating sure. rights and powers are of each Absolutely. of these individuals So we know exactly what they're doing and I'd not appreciate doing. it. that'd be helpful thank Thanks. you so much uh, okay, Councilwoman other? Sawyer did, but I know. We've um, so
7: got th- yeah, hand.
3: I'll just uh, wrap up by saying you said I think we have a set of shared values here, and I think that's right. I, I think both parts, both sides of this conversation are correct, right? Um, we do have a coordinated. Uh, we, we do need a coordinated system downtown. We do need to ensure that our number one economic driver is um, continuing to be our number one economic driver. We also need to ensure. That when we put the city in a situation like this, we address some of these, you know, challenges and questions that are 100% fair to ask. So I just want to say, um, I think this is a yes-and conversation, not an either-or conversation. Sure. Um, but I do think it's fair to to think through some of these things. And I will say, um, you know, for council members, um, we were presented this for five minutes um, in mayor council, we were presented this for half an hour in um, safety. And then now we're talking about again today, um, you know, for 15 minutes. So that's less than an hour total that we have had to kind of socialize and ask our questions and get some answers to these kinds of things. So I do think that it's totally fair um, for us to continue to have this conversation and make sure that we have the space and the time to be able to work through some of these things and see if there are things that could be tweaked or um, MOUs that could be, you know, agreed upon or something like that to be able to get everyone to the space where everyone is on board. Um, and I think, you know, I look forward to having those conversations and seeing if there's there's some bridges that we can gap there to try and kind of um, to, to get everyone to the same place because this is a it's a good program um, that should continue, but there are some gaps. So just wanted to say that. Thanks. Thank you
1: appreciate it. Um, okay, I think with that, even though we, you were kind to give us some extra time on FinGov, we will um, move into executive session for our quick update. And so I will um, let me find my language. Um, I will now entertain a motion to move us into an executive session pursuant to DRMC 233C1 and 234A6. For the purpose of discussing collective bargaining negotiations, no, two-thirds vote of members present is required to enter an executive session. May I have a motion? So so moved. Second. All, all in favor. Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Great. Thank you all so much. Uh, we'll let folks exit. <laughs>
0: of of speech rights and other rights.